This is Inside Geneva. I'm your host, Imogen Folks, and this is a Swiss Info production. In today's program. This weekend, the Taliban ordered that women can no longer work for any non governmental organizations, including relief agencies. How can women uh, be able to receive health care when there are no women doctors. Three major aid groups have suspended their operations in Afghanistan, saying they can't work without their female staff. The Taliban government of Afghanistan has ordered an indefinite ban on university education for women. If there is no woman attending school and then universities, who will be tomorrow's doctors, tomorrow's midwives, nurses? These are acts committed for the purpose of establishing dominance and systemic oppression by men over women in all aspects of public life as well as private life. Hello and welcome again to Inside Geneva. I'm Imogen Folks. In today's programme, we're going to dig into a subject that is really focusing minds and causing big worries here in Geneva, in the humanitarian community and in the human rights community. And that is, what to do? What role can humanitarians now play in Afghanistan, given the announcement by the de facto government, the Taliban, that women are no longer allowed to work for non-governmental organisations? I've got some great people to join me to talk about this. We have Felipe Ribeiro of Médecins Sans Frontières. He's joining us from Kabul. We've got Adam Coombs of the Norwegian Refugee Council. He joins us from Oslo. And some of our listeners may know the NRC is one of the aid agencies that has temporarily suspended its operations in Afghanistan because of the Taliban's announcement. And right here in Geneva, we have Pooja Patel of the International Service for Human Rights. I'm going to come to the two humanitarian agencies first. Felipe of MSF, you're in Kabul now. And listeners, the connection to Kabul is a little crackly, but please do bear with us. Felipe, MSF has been present in Afghanistan for many, many years. So why don't you tell us first the kind of work that you do there? MSF, I mean, we are mostly present in, uh, in hospitals in uh, seven provinces in the country. Uh, just to, to give you an idea of uh, what that means concretely, in 2022 alone, 35,000 babies born in our maternities in two hospitals alone. We have received in one single hospital more than 200,000 patients. It does give you the scale of the needs uh, and how, let's say, dysfunctional that, that people has, have no other option than to go to the very few functional health facilities. Adam, I'm going to come to you as well. I mean, we heard the scale of work. What about NRC? Tell us about your work. Um, NRC has been in Afghanistan since 2003, and we are a displacement organization, meaning that our large focus is on both uh, refugees and also internally displaced, which is the the, the focus work that we're doing. Um, We're working in 18 provinces, and our, our work is ranging from shelter interventions, education, wash, to emergency responses, legal assistance, and so forth. Um, it's a wide range, uh, specifically to, to address the humanitarian needs that, that, that we're dealing with. Important as the events of uh, August 2021, we were forced to revamp our program, uh, restructure our program in terms of the new context that we're working, and actually have been able to, to provide assistance to 870,000 people uh, since, uh, since August 2021. 
So these uh, oncoming events now have been quite a shock for us. Pooja, one of the things that has been said about the removing women from the humanitarian operation is that some fundamental rights like access to healthcare could become extremely difficult for women in Afghanistan. Yep, we're really concerned about some of the more life-saving and essential frontline uh, support and services that in particular women aid workers could offer, particularly around issues um, such as provisions for sexual reproductive health and um, healthcare provisions. Um, But in addition to this, we are also really aware that in a context right now where really Afghan civil society pretty much either doesn't exist or exists under um, a great deal of challenges and secrecy, that a lot of the the documentation and information that could be obtained around um, human rights concerns and challenges of aid workers, that we kind of stop those channels of information as well. We have to consider that there remains importance for human rights monitoring and documentation at this time, and that, that in particular, communicating a lot of the information with um, international bodies, UN bodies and experts is also vital to the accountability project in Afghanistan. I'm interested in asking again the humanitarian agencies here because we've had different reactions. We've had a unified reaction of, oh no, but different reactions about how things can work from here. Felipe, MSF has said, you are going to carry on with your teams as normal You also have 51%, I think, of your medical staff are women. How how is that going to work? Um, For the time being, as you may know, the Ministry of Public Health has announced that the health sector is not impacted by this directive. Uh, All to say that we are not facing any difficulties to keep uh, running our projects. But on the long run, or even in the in the short term, we don't know how it will go on, because once again, this decision made by the Minister of Public Health uh, is not formalized, and it's all a kind of oral agreement. If you look at the decree, it has been issued by the Minister of Economy, under which most of the NGOs are working, and when it comes to MSF, we, we are registered under the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and we, we do play somehow uh, the illustration. Adam, that's tricky, isn't it, what Felipe says? Because theoretically, health is not affected by, by this decision, but it makes it very awkward for, for humanitarians. NRC has suspended its work for the time being. Absolutely. And let me lead on, you know, Philippe uh, is is completely correct. There are two different uh, regulations that were being followed, one by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the other in the Ministry of Economy, where uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, the UN, uh, MSF, and also ICRC, I believe, are not necessarily impacted to the degree that the other NGOs are. NRC, I, I mean, there's two clarifications I really, really want to make. We have not suspended our activities voluntarily. We have been forced to stop our activities simply because we are not able to do our humanitarian job without our female colleagues with us. And that, for me, is a very important distinction 
that I do not want this to be turned around to be a politicized argumentation about making a, a point. Yes, there are extreme principled issues that are important, but also there's extreme practical issues that are equally important. In the Afghan context, we are not able to reach, for an example, female-headed households with only male staff. We're not able to reach 50% of our population in terms of working. So in, in that sense, it's not a voluntary decision. Now, NRC has, uh, as you rightly said, stopped our activities because we can't do our job. However, if agencies, as MSF, if they have the ability to access beneficiaries through female staff to do the job, we should. Our business is to save lives. So, so that's not a problem. Where we see it as problematic is if, if we are forced to change our programs to only men-only programming, to, to, uh, to replace our women employees with men, to do a job that they cannot do. And it's, so, so I think, you know, we, we continually talk about a dilemma and, and, and there's many dilemmas in this, but this is for, for us, for NRC, is not a dilemma. It's a very clear indication of what we need to do to be able to make our job. And it's important that we have a very clear, unified stance on that. Pooja, what do you think the human rights community can do to support here? Do you see working more closely with the humanitarian agencies? So currently there is already a UN Special Rapporteur who is focusing on the human rights situation in Afghanistan. And his role is to essentially monitor and report back to the UN member states on the current human rights situation in the country. He began his work last May, um, has been able to, I think, do one visit to the country. He was able to speak with the de facto authorities as well as civil society and general population in various parts of the country. And I think that uh, it remains important that we are able to bring together the human rights and humanitarian strands of the work to be able to speak across with um, uh, organizations working on humanitarian aid as well, simply because I think as the situation inside of the country becomes increasingly challenging, I think it's um, necessary to consolidate the efforts. There is also a call from Afghan civil society that is led primarily by women human rights defenders and women peace builders for an international accountability mechanism, which is similar to what we see, for example, in Myanmar. We do note also that the human rights movement of Afghanistan is one that is mainly in exile at the moment. And those who, as I said earlier, remain in the country are continuing to do their work in a climate of fear, in a climate of secrecy. Um, and we've worked really hard alongside many of our NGO friends in Geneva to ensure that there is ongoing access and participation of women activists in these international decision-making spaces, both here at the Human Rights Council, but also in New York at the Security Council. In 2022, they came to every single session of the Human Rights Council and demanded stronger action from the international community. Their message was clear. It was that the international community is complicit in the current situation and that they must put forward a compelling path for action, for accountability and justice. And so in that regard, we need to ensure that Afghan women remain at the center of any discussion and any decision related to their country by these international bodies. Their access and genuine participation can't be neglected. At the same time, we need to ensure that we are communicating with groups and individuals inside of the country as well, and that we're not isolating those who remain inside of the country. So this not only means that we have to find maybe more secure channels of communication to do so, but also things like translation interpretation is also vital in this regard. And I think that 
that really what we need to do is, is listen to their demands because they're coming here and they're putting forward their proposals. They're telling us what we need to do, how we need to do it. And I think we need to follow their lead. I'm just wondering when we hear about this, as you say, Pooja, a lot of the certainly women human rights defenders, activists and so on are now outside Afghanistan. And yet we do hear that with this particular decision and also the decision about women's access to education, that it is not universally supported among all the provinces in Afghanistan. Adam, I see you nodding there. And then afterwards, I'll go to Felipe, although we know that the line to Kabul is a bit tricky. Is it the case? Because I understood that pre-August, there were also areas where it was harder for aid agencies to work and women working with aid agencies to work. Is there a possibility now that, you know, it's more of a patchwork, that there are places that you can still work okay and others where you're going to have to get into dialogue and negotiation? Yes, I was nodding my head (laughs) because I, I think there is always room for discussion. There's always room for negotiation. And, and this is something, and you're completely correct, that, that traditionally Afghanistan has been a very widespread in terms of the periphery and the centrum. Things are interpreted at different levels, and, uh, and there's different interpretations of, of the regulations in which we're working on. This is something I think is critical. It's a difficult line to follow, but we need to go into dialogue, into interchanging with the de facto authorities to be able to do our job. But at the same time, we have to be principled, very clear of what we need to have to be able to get that job done. And that needs to happen at the level, at the district level, the provincial level, and then also at the, at the national level. And it is uh, what, we're, what we've experienced in the, in the last, uh, what is it now, week, week and a half that there is unclarity that is is difficult to navigate. Maybe that unclarity gives us the opportunity to make these discussions, but we need that dialogue, that, that, that those discussions need to be held at all levels. Felipe, I can ask you to comment on that. As you say at the moment, you, can, you are still continuing to work, but you're not sure what the future will hold. Is it easier in some parts of the country than others? Yeah, but I, I would like to come back to what uh, Adam just said before to really uh, support him on that, basically, we should all keep in mind that uh, the organizations that have to stop their work were compiled to do so by the government. The government made a decision that makes uh, access to women almost impossible because we all know that in Afghanistan, if you want to have access to women, being for uh, distribution, being for sheltering, being for winterization, being for uh, medical care, you cannot do so. The only uh, health providers to women, almost, even more when it comes to maternity, for instance, are, of course, women. Meaning that by banning the woman to work with NGOs, they are basically banning the woman to receive uh, humanitarian assistance. Then we agree with Adam that there is a rate in Host or in Almand is not the same way we operate in Luz or in Iraq, for instance. Because the dynamics are different, the power struggle, let's put it that way, are also quite different. And there is some kind of room of, not to say that it's easy, but, but basically, yes. And, and uh, for time being, when it comes to, to us, uh, once again, we do not face uh, major difficulties or no more today than uh, yesterday. Let's put it that way. 
and uh, fully agree also. And one of the elements to take into account is the fact that if there is no woman attending school and then universities, who will be tomorrow's doctors, tomorrow's midwives, nurses? We have to look at it from a global perspective. How do uh, the government see the role of women in the society? That's a very big question, isn't it? But Adam, Felipe was pointing fundamental question of what is um, the role of women in a society? I mean, there are ways to work or in Afghanistan that would respect cultural norms and so on. But now it appears not in many respects. We know that the UN's emergency relief chief, Martin Griffiths, is heading to Kabul. He's hoping to change some minds. We have to continually to be optimistic. I don't think I would be in this business if I wasn't optimistic. But at the same time, we also have to have a realism that. And that's why I was talking about before. I, I think the the room for change and, and the room for successful negotiations is probably greater at the at the lower levels within. And, and then continue those discussions at the higher level to see what can happen. I wanted to mention something that I think is important. It's also the language that we use when engaging with stakeholders. We need to be aware and try to understand how to best explain, uh, to demystify, to depolitify what we're doing. Um, I think Philippe was absolutely correct. I, I mean, to ask the questions, how, how can women uh, be able to receive health care when there are no women doctors? This is a question that we need to push and, and to be very, in that sense, pragmatic. I'm not saying make pragmatic decisions that reduce or uh, that they go against the principles of what we're working, but to find the language that is able to make that go forward, I think, is, is critical, is critical on that. And also to be very clear uh, of what is possible. And therefore, I think the unified front in this is extremely important. Here, I, I don't see this as a as a contradiction, as I said before, that MSF is able to work and we were not able to work, but we need to work with each other to try to figure that out. And that's also true in terms of the human rights discourse. I mean, we all have different roles, but want the same solution. And that is a, a, a peaceful and a productive Afghanistan society. And to figure out how we can do that, I think, is we have different contributions in that. And this is where I think that although there's been all this talk about, oh, my goodness, what a terrible dilemma for aid agencies. Do they stay and only part of the population, the male part, is really benefiting? Maybe that's a slightly specious dilemma here in Geneva, because the, the fundamental humanitarian principles remain the same. And you will continue from all your different spheres, I guess, to work together on that. Pooja, I'm going to bring you in there. And maybe also just to touch on this question about um, kind of what is the role for women. And um, as you would have probably already been aware, there are many feminists from both Afghanistan and globally who stand in solidarity with Afghan women who have named a lot of these decrees as evidence of gender apartheid. They would argue that these are acts committed for the purpose of establishing dominance and systemic oppression by men over women in all aspects of public life as well as private life. And a lot of the women defenders that we've been working with have been telling states that um, from their perspective, there are some immediate benchmarks that could be considered in order to assess the de facto authorities' commitments to upholding some basic minimal human rights standards, um, whether culturally relativist or not. 
And one of those benchmarks involved reopening secondary schools for girls, for example. And they've argued that actually, you know, all evidence points in the opposite direction and in such a situation, they're really calling for this independent investigation. They're asking for a collection and a consolidation of evidence of violations and abuses, particularly the gender dimensions, to preserve this information and documentation and uh, to identify wherever possible, you know, individuals and entities responsible for alleged violations and abuses. So I think that um, as Adam said, I think that there are some uh, multiple tracks. I think that the accountability project um, remains crucial also in the discussion of Afghanistan. Okay, we are, with a few stops and starts, almost at the end of our recording session. So I'm just going to ask Felipe and then Adam just to say again why it is that it's important that you continue your work why it is that it's in everyone's interests, men and women, in Afghanistan? Well, because we, we, we cannot forget about Afghanistan. We cannot forget what uh, happened to these people for the last almost 50 years. And we, we shouldn't just drop the case. It's one thing, you know, to, to pull out like the uh, NATO, US and other countries did last year and just drop the country as it is and refuse nowadays to uh, engage somehow in a negotiation, because we like it or not, uh, there is a government, the Taliban are here, and we have to deal with them and uh, population as much as we, as, as we can, as long as we can, within the, the frame you just defined, uh, some, some basic principles, in order to show not only solidarity, to, to make sure that we are talking about more than half of the population, uh, that is uh, unemployed, have no access to cash, the, uh, the banking system is dysfunctional, the health system is dysfunctional, and there is no way to just drop the country and leave the place. Okay, no way to just drop the country, Philippe says that, no way to just leave the place. Adam, I'm going to come to you. I mean, it's uh, the, the answer out of the many difficult questions that we have. I think the answer to this question is simple. Two thirds of the population are dependent on humanitarian aid. 20 million people, 20 million people are in danger of, uh, of severe mal- malnutrition. We cannot, and I, here I agree completely with Philip, we cannot forget these people. We need to make sure that humanitarian aid is given to all parts of the population, which include, of course, females. And we need to make sure that that happens. Uh, and uh, and that it, it, this is not the choice of our suspension. This is not an indication that we're not committed to Afghanistan. We are. Uh, the humanitarian community is committed to Afghanistan. And we need to make sure that happens. Okay, on that note, and with some slight technical glitches, this is what happens when we try to connect Oslo, Geneva and Kabul in one virtual studio. Thank you very much to Filippi Ribeiro of MSF in Kabul, Adam Coombs, NRC in Oslo, and Pooja Patel of the International Service for Human Rights in Geneva. I'm Imjin Folks, and that's it for Inside Geneva for this week. A reminder, you've been listening to Inside Geneva, a Swiss Info production. You can email us on insidegeneva at swissinfo.ch and subscribe to us and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our previous episodes. You can hear analysis of the war in Ukraine, 
how the International Red Cross unites prisoners of war with their families, or why survivors of human rights violations turn to the UN in Geneva for justice. I'm Imogen Folks. Thanks again for listening. Discover science and innovation in Switzerland with the Swiss Connection podcast. In the current series, we visit CERN and explore what they're up to next in their quest to solve the mysteries of the universe. We uncover groundbreaking discoveries in a Roman archaeological site and get the first glimpse of an exciting supersonic plane powered by hydrogen. From the tiniest particles to the vastness of space, satisfy your scientific curiosity by listening to the Swiss Connection podcast for a mind-expanding experience with Swiss Info. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to follow or subscribe to get your latest episode on time.